Welcome to the old school meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, which features speakers with long-term abstinence. This meeting was born online, and it's going to stay that way. That means you can attend live on Tuesday evenings at 6.30 Pacific if you'd like to. Go to the Los Angeles Intergroup's webpage at oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. I think I'm supposed to start by stating my name for the recording. So it's Joanna M. And it's December 13th, 2022, if anyone wants to know. Okay. Hi, I'm Joanna. I'm an anorexic bulimic and a compulsive eater. It's really nice to be at this meeting. Um, I'm impressed with the size of it. I um, uh, have been on many meetings uh, that have had large, uh, you know, large Zoom presence, but that seems to have gone down uh, now that some in-person meetings are back. So it's really lovely to be here in a room that is a Zoom room that is so full uh, of great faces and people looking out and on camera. So thank you all for being here. Uh, My abstinence date is February 4th, 1996. Um, I have 26 years abstinent from bulimia and anorexia. Um, And uh, I, what it was like, (laughs) It was hell. Um, I'm sure you all know that. Uh, I won't spend that much time in my disease because I find that with food after all these years, we're all kind of different. And when I first came in, I really did that thing where I was looking for the differences, not the similarities. (laughs) So it was really easy for me to hear differences, Um, even though it was very clear to me that I had these diseases and that I had this problem and that I wanted to stop. But I started with compulsive um, food behaviors at a very young age. My parents tell a story about how when I was four years old, I went for six months and I would only eat one food, one specific food. It was all I would eat. It did contain a vegetable, but it wasn't the most healthy food in the world, but it was all I'd eat. Um, So um, it really started at a young age. And and I grew up in a household that... um, where my father, he passed away when I was in high school, but, um, you know, I, he had, I believe he had drug and alcohol problems, um, and, um, you know, may or may not have ever found this room, um, had he lived long enough, but, um, it was a chaotic household. And so I think that when I was younger, food was, uh, something that I turned to. Um, I am multi-addicted because I also grew up in the 70s and 1980s in New York City. And back then, um, parenting was very different. (laughs) You teased a child on bourbon. You gave the child sips of alcohol. When I was 12, I think was the first time I went out to dinner with my parents and my father said to me, Joanna, what would you like to drink? right? Meaning alcoholically or alcohol. So, you know, it was just a different era. They, they looked at alcohol differently and use of it differently. Um, and so um, I started on the food and quickly found the drugs and alcohol. Um, but food was first and um, it and it and it was also the most obvious problem. And the reason I say that is because when I was around ten years old, and I was I'd come home from school and I'd go running into my room, and you know my parents would say things like, "How was school? Fine," you know, and I'd go run away, um, and I'd grab a box of whatever, or a bag of whatever, and I'd eat the whole thing watching TV, um, you know, and and. I had a babysitter who said to me very jealously by the fa- by the way because she was a ballerina. She said to me that's going to catch up with you someday. 
because she was really upset that I could eat the way I could. And I didn't appear, you know, I, I appeared to be in a healthy weight. I was 10, you know, I was running around like a lunatic at school and gym and all that kind of stuff. But she was right, because as soon as I hit puberty, it caught up to me instantly. I mean, literally one day I was like, whoa, you know, and um, that's when I discovered bulimia. And this was before the Internet and before cell phones and before I mean, you know, like I didn't know what bulimia was. If it wasn't in an after school special, I didn't know it existed, you know. So um, I found bulimia at 12 years old. I thought I had found the greatest thing in the world. You know, and I didn't want to tell anybody I had it um, or I did it because I thought it was this great secret of how I could eat anything I wanted and stay slim, um, which, by the way, is not true. That is a fallacy of bulimia. You don't actually stay that slim. Um, and on top of that, you're really doing a lot of damage to your body, which I did not know at, at 12, 13, 14 years old. Um, I also did share my secret with a close friend at school. It turns out she's bulimic too. So now I've got a bulimia buddy who, you know, we go and we binge eat ice cream and then we throw it up. So, um, you know, the, it was, I, I found my kind wherever I went. Um, bulimia got, uh, a, it's challenging. It's, it's, a, it's a messy, noisy, it's a hard thing to do at school type disease. And so anorexia um, looked pretty good. Um, and I was anorexic from 16 to 19. Um, at 19 years old, I was in college. I met a guy. I wanted to be able to go out to dinner with him. I wanted to be able to be normal. Um, you know, I wanted to be able to have lunch with him on campus, like whatever. I wanted to be able to eat with him. And he met me when I was 92 pounds. And um, that was in uh, October of my sophomore year. And by Christmas, um, excuse me, by um, June of that year. So the following year, so less than a year later, I had put on 60 pounds. Um, and he was like, Whoa, what happened to you? <laughs> you know? Um, so I went back to the bulimia and that's pretty much where I hung out until I was in my twenties and I found these rooms. And the reason I found these rooms was because I really had tried everything. And the big book talks about this, you know, I tried diets and I tried spas and fat farms and pills and all kinds of stuff. Anything that they threw at you, I would try it. Nothing worked. And I was at a therapist and I was just, you know, I was as desperate as the dying can be, which is what our literature says. And um, I and she said, have you ever tried Overeaters Anonymous? And I said, I, I've never even heard of it. And I don't care. What is it and where is it? Um, again, not an inner, not that not a time where we had internet or access to that type of stuff. So I had to like call the OA office. I had to listen to the recording on the, I lived in Los Angeles at the time. So I had to listen to the recording on the OALA line. It took forever to go through that recording. As you can imagine, they had to say every meeting, every detail about that meeting, the time, the location, the contact information, the phone number, and then move on to the next meeting Monday through Sunday. I mean, it, it was like a 20 minute phone call. But, um, you know, that's that's how we did it back then. And, and that's how I found um, meetings. And I, once I got to my first meeting, I could get a meeting book, which was much more helpful um, or a meeting list rather. And. The first meeting I went to was in Santa Monica and it was a very small meeting. It was during a lunch hour and there were literally three people in it and me. And I walked in the door and the first thing they said to me is, are you new? Well, I'm sorry, there's four people in there and they've never seen me before. It's a very normal question, but I was highly offended. <laughs> How do you know I'm new? I don't even want to, you know, like, I don't even want anyone to know I'm being here. Isn't this an anonymous program? You know, so I was a little freaked out. And then at the end of the meeting, they handled me, handed me a, a big book. 
because this was 1995 when I first came in. I came and and the OA literature. If you look at the original copyright date on the OA literature, it hadn't been it hadn't been um, published until 1993. So in 95, early 95 nobody knew how to use the OA books yet. They hadn't been, the sponsors had been brought up on AA literature. And so like we, they didn't know how to use the OA literature. So the first thing I got handed was a big book and an AA 12 and 12. And I'm like, why are they handing me books about alcohol? And that was annoying to me too. Um, but everything was annoying in that moment. Uh, you know, but I kept coming back and I went to, someone told me to go to six different meetings um, because every meeting's got its own personality and they're all different. You never know what you're going to find. Um, I did find a group of, of people, a women's meeting on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. That women's meeting still exists. Uh, it's been on Zoom um, for the, during the pandemic, but we go back on January 8th. They go back in person. Um, so uh, it's been around for a very long time. It's on Sunday mornings, and um, we used to be at the old OA office on Beverly, um, or maybe it was on Third Street, wherever it was. It was this tiny little office, and we would sit in the, and we would literally sit in this little room in the office, and a bunch of people would have seats, and the rest of us were on the floor on a carpet. Um, and, you know, I just, I didn't, if we were talking about a step or a tradition, I, it was like you were speaking a foreign language to me. I couldn't hear you. I couldn't understand you. I just wanted you to talk about food. Tell me how not to eat the way I eat, how not to throw up and how not to be so obsessed about eating. Cause all I thought about was food. Like, when am I going to eat it? What have I eaten? What do you think about what I've eaten? What I look like as a result of what I've eaten, what you think about what I look like as a result of blah, 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 yada, 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 yada. Like it wouldn't stop. And I remember my mother once said to me, like, Joanna, imagine how like successful you could be if you could think about anything else, but like food and, and your, and your weight you know, because it was literally, we felt like that was all my brain would do. And so when I first came in, it took me, I came in in May um, or April and it took me, you know, almost nine months. It took me about nine months to get abstinent. I, I was terrified to ask someone to sponsor me. I was so afraid of rejection. I was, I couldn't, you know, they told me to look for something, you know, look, look for someone who has what you want and ask them to sponsor you. And I just kept walking up to women and saying, could you tell me about the sponsorship thing? I don't quite understand it. Well, in the first couple of weeks, that was fine. But after nine months, people were like, oh God, here comes Joanna. She's going to ask us what the sponsorship thing is again, you know, <laughs> because I couldn't get the guts up to ask somebody to sponsor me. And, um, what happened was I, I I had a really disastrous date. I was in my early 20s. I had a really disastrous date and I had cooked dinner for the guy. And he, he came, he ate half of the appetizer and left before the dinner was done. And, and truth be told, I didn't actually cook the dinner. My godmother cooked it for me and brought it over. But anyway, that's besides the point. What I used to do was write down my calories and my fat grams in a diary and put a little smiley face or frowny face next to them. So basically I had, I, I was used to keeping score of, of what I was eating with that binge that night of that disastrous date. I, I stopped counting at around 6,000 calories. So, and it was more than that because what I did when he left was I ate the whole appetizer, the whole dinner and the dessert that was made for two people. And then I spent the entire night in the bathrooms throwing up and I slept in the bathroom next to the toilet throwing up. And um, I walked into that Sunday morning meeting. It was February 4th of 1996. I had all the telltale signs of bulimia. My hands were scarred with, with my teeth marks. My throat was scratchy. I could barely speak. My eyes, the blood vessels under my eyes were just like huge. Um, I looked the part. And um, 
you know, I put up my hand and I told them what happened. And, and those women, you know, surrounded me and patted me on the back and said, keep coming back, which they've been saying to me for nine months at this point. And, you know, there was a woman sitting there and I had seen her for a while and her name was Nina. And I, I don't know whatever happened to Nina. I lost touch with her, but um, I asked her to sponsor me and she said, yes. And she told me to start calling her at 6, 10 a.m. every morning. And despite the fact that I worked in a corporate setting and had to be in the office by nine, I promise you 6, 10 a.m. was not my hour, right? I was getting out of bed at like 7.30, rush, you know, jumping in the shower, leaping out of it and rushing to the office to be there by nine. So like the 6, 10 a.m. thing was painful. We, again, no cell phones, had to dial her at home. You know, she'd always pick up because we had to talk, you know, and she'd say things like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, fine, which is what I used to say to my parents because I didn't, I don't know. But she took me through the steps and we did, um, I remember we did the fourth step. I did the fourth step and then I read it to her um, and we did it. She lived in the Hollywood Hills. So we, we went out into the hills on a hike and we read it. And then it, we used to burn our fourth steps back then so that you couldn't like go back and repeat. It was like, you're clearing it out, right? We're going to burn it. But then also you can't go back and cheat and try to repeat it. Like if it's gone, it's gone. You don't really have that resentment anymore, right? So anyway, we went back to her house. We threw the fourth step um inventory in her fireplace and burned it. And my life got good. In fact, it got so good that I stopped going to OA meetings, right? I got a job. I got the guy. I got married um, to the man who would eventually become my ex-husband. Um, I got like the cool car and the, like the stuff happened. Stuff started to happen and, and, and I stopped going to OA. I also stopped going to OA, quite frankly, because I was in that Sunday morning meeting and I did go to other meetings. It's just that one was a big one for me. It was my home group. I was in that Sunday morning meeting and after the meeting, I was walking in my car with another woman. And she said, you know, Joanna, can I make an observation? And I was like, sure, I think, <laughs> you know, and she said, a lot of your stories about food involve alcohol. Have you ever looked at your drinking? Maybe you should try AA. So like any good alcoholic in denial, I stopped going to OA. And um, <laughs> that lasted a couple of years until I finally got sober. Um, I get credit for 26 years of abstinence because I knew enough to know that I can't ever lose my bulimia and anorexia abstinence, right? So I, I really, I never lost the abstinence, but I can tell you that I didn't always do it with program and um, that's painful, right? It's, it's, it's really, it's, I don't advise it. I, I've done it. I, I, I tested that one out for you. Take my, please take my advice. Don't try it. Um, and so, you know, I, I came back in basically because I stopped drinking. And when you took away that coping tool, like I had substituted addictions, you took away that coping tool. And I was like a raw nerve. I had nothing. And I came back into OA because I, at 10 years abstinent at that point, I'm literally sitting in at the doorstop of my bathroom contemplating throwing up. And I was like, oh God, no. Like, do not, this cannot happen. Like you, I got so much freedom from not being bulimic. You know, I got so much, I got freedom from obsession. That's what I got. I got total freedom from obsession with food. And here I was back in the food, contemplating getting sick, you know, making myself throw up. And I was like, I, that can't, I can't, I cannot go back to that. Because to me, that is the number one earliest problem, the the biggest problem, the, I, I, you know, the thing that terrifies me the most. And I came back in the rooms and I've been back ever since. And it's been almost, it's been, well, 16 years. And um, I sponsor a lot of women. 
Um, I usually have upwards of 10 sponsees. I think right now I've got, I should know the number. I'm, this is embarrassing. I think I've got somewhere between six and eight. Um, that's um, 15 minutes. Thank so you. you. Three. Thanks. Um, I sponsor a lot of women. I am sponsored. I check in with my, I used to check in with my sponsor daily. I don't do that anymore, but I do have my sponsees check in with me daily. Um, just the way Nina had me check in with her. <laughs> um, I don't make them talk to me though. <laughs> so they leave a message and if they need a call back, they let me know, but they do check in to declare their abstinence and let me know what meetings they're attending, just how they're doing. Um, I, I, I quote liberally from the big book, although I haven't done it in this share. I, um, I love the big book. I, I really grew to love the AA literature. I did eventually learn how to use OA literature, and I do take my sponsees through the steps with OA literature. Um, but if I have someone who's been in OA for a while and maybe they've done the OA literature, I'll introduce them to the AA literature because I think it's really highly valuable, especially the big book. Uh, I do the four-step the big book way. I haven't added anything special to it. I was taken through it the old-fashioned way. I think the way the book explains it is perfectly, it, it makes it very easy and very understandable and very simple. And I like to complicate things and it makes my resentments very, very clear and simple. Um, I did not come in here with a higher power or a God of my understanding. I wouldn't say that I was an atheist. I was more agnostic. I, I thought there was a God or maybe there was something out there and good for you if you had it, but I just wasn't lucky enough to have it. I didn't have that kind of life. I didn't have that kind of luck. I didn't have that kind of grace, whatever you want to say. And I had one of my sponsors, because I've had many sponsors over the years, one of my sponsors said to me once, Joanna, in step two in the AA 12 and 12, it says, um, the hoop you have to jump through is bigger than you think. You don't have to swallow all of step two at once. And step two is where we need to try to start finding a higher power. But she said to me, Joanna, you need to do it at some point, right? <laughs> you know, and I had used at that point, a lot of different things. I'd used nature. I'd used dog, which is God spelled backwards. I'd used um, the rooms. Uh, in AA, they say a group of drunks. We don't have that acronym here, but I've used the, the rooms, all of you as a higher power, as a guide. Um, I'd used nature. I've used source. I, I mean, energy, like everything. Um, but she, what she said to me was finally, Joanna, when you, when someone shares from the podium and you want what they have, walk up to them and say, can you tell me who's your God and where'd you get it? So basically what I'm asking them is like, tell me about your spiritual belief system and where did you find that spiritual belief system? And then I started to go outside of the rooms to find that spiritual belief system, because that's what Bill W tells us we have to do. He says that program, he says AA, but for our program, I'll say that OA or program is like spiritual kindergarten. All we're doing here is teaching each other how not to use our substance. We have to go outside of the rooms for spirituality, and we are not the arbiter of anyone's spiritual belief system, right? We do not tell you what to believe. We don't, we just tell you find something. It can't be you anymore. We've, we depended on ourselves for long enough and look what Eric got us. Like it's got to be something bigger than you. And um, that that searching, that seeking um, took me on a lot of adventures, frankly, all over the world. It was actually really cool. Um, I can tell you that my spiritual belief has changed ginormously. <laughs> um, in well, the last... I just want I just want to say that's time. Just... Thank you. I'll wrap it up with this. Um, it's changed tremendously in the last uh, 26 years. And um, what I believe today is not what I believed a year ago, even or five years ago. And, and what the grace that I've been given as a result of this program and working at the way it's prescribed, got a sponsor, go to meetings, do the steps, 
keep doing the steps, sponsor people, be of service. You know, the whole thing that we say to do is what it's given me is a level of calm inside that changes how I perceive the outside, how I deal with the outside, which doesn't mean that life doesn't happen. Life happens. I've had a lot of life in the last 26 years, but the way I deal with it is different. And that's the grace, right? I have tools that I didn't have before that allow me to see myself differently, that allow me to see you differently and allow me to see life and how what happens to it differently. So thank you for that, Grace.